It's not the training mode or medium that matters. It's what the leadership does on the front end and more importantly on the back end to make the training stick and become a part of the DNA. You're listening to the Audible Ready Podcast, the show that helps you and your teams sell more faster. We'll feature sales leaders sharing their best insights on how to create a sales engine that helps you fuel repeatable revenue growth. Presented by the team at Force Management, a leader in B2B sales effectiveness. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Audible Ready Podcast. I'm Rachel Clapp Miller with Force Management. Today, we're going to have a discussion on the power of a virtual sales engagement, achieving outcomes and hitting benchmarks. We're going to talk about these virtual sales initiatives. Joining me today is Brian Walsh, our Managing Director of Facilitation and Delivery. Hello, Brian. Hey, good morning. Yes, good morning. And Dave Davies, our Chief Operating Officer. Hello, Dave. Always a pleasure, Rachel. So a lot of our our customers have sales initiatives planned. They put them on hold. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do, when they're going to move forward, whether it be with a sales kickoff or just a sales initiative. Uh, And they're trying to figure out how to get them going again. And we've seen a lot of companies have success with moving forward with virtual initiatives. So today we're going to talk about how we work with those companies to make them successful. So Dave, let's let's start with you. You talk to a lot of our customers, even in the sales process. What is the trigger that often has them move forward? Well, right now, what, what happened is if you see, you know, the trend that, that's going out there over the you know the past few weeks, whenever the change you know first occurred everybody went to, into like survive mode. They were trying to figure out what to do, which actually caused them to really halt the brakes and a lot of sales enablement efforts that, that were going on. We just saw that immediately, you know, just kind of dropped off because they were in survival mode, right? And they had a reaction, they had to adapt to it, and, which was the second stage, really. Let me adapt to what's happening in the midterm here, figure things out. And then a lot of them are, are coming out of that right now and they're thinking, okay, how am I going to thrive on the back end, right? So they went through this survive, adapt, thrive kind of a mindset. And, you know, some are still hung and adapt, but some are moving on. And I think the realization was I can't wait, right? You know, I was going to do a live event, you know, live, that's what I know. And that's, that's all I know. And if anything short of live is, is going to be ineffective. But you had a few people that were on the leading edge that said, I can't wait. And so take just for an example, my, my sales message, right? Getting the sales conversation, the things that were driving value for their buyers before may not be driving value for their buyers now, right? So if you think about the, what drives value, it tends to be revenue, risk, or cost, right? And so if I think about the value drivers for my customers, maybe revenue was, was top of mind, but as soon as I hit that survival mode, it went to cost and risk. Yet we had an organization that was messaging primarily to revenue. And so they were out of touch with what their customers were, were experiencing. And so what we found was, is that people realized, I gotta turn the ship on a dime, right? I can't keep going the way I'm going. I need to get everybody thinking in a different direction and I can't wait. I can't wait because we're out of sync with what's going on in the market. And then the rapid change is occurring more so than it has before. And so what I have to do is I have to enable the organization to speak a different way and act a different way. I can't wait. I can't go live. So 
virtue is my option. So you had a few brave souls who were who went first, and, and what they found was it is as effective, if not more effective, than live, right? And so you, you see some momentum going in that direction because the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of change, right? And that's the equation that you know a lot of them figured out. Yeah, I think probably as you're talking, a lot of people watching this video can relate to that. They find themselves in the same situation. And Brian, I know we had the conversation many times that when you think of the sales initiative, the sales initiative is just one, or the training is just one part of the entire initiative. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, either having been in sales leadership or a sales rep or now in this role with you know helping organizations and, and those two groups of folks, I think people have a tendency to think, oh, it's sales training. It's like that moment, right? And as you said, the training is strictly just one moment in time. So as an example, I'm launching the training with a client Monday. We're doing a couple of groups over the next couple of weeks. So I've been spending some time with their managers uh, in the last couple of weeks. And as I said to them yesterday, the training moment next week is nothing more than the end of the beginning. Right. And, and the medium that you use and the mode that you use to deliver that training doesn't change the outcome. The outcome is based on the leadership, their willingness to act, their willingness to lead, their willingness to, to move their skill set to become great coaches. The training in itself is one smaller portion of a much larger whole. So it's not about whether or not you get people in the room for two days, right, and make them, you know, go all in on some training. If you leave that room and do nothing with it, what was the point? So virtual training versus live training in, with everybody in a room. I mean, virtual training is still live, number one, right? I mean, I got multiple screens. I'm seeing multiple people, and I'm engaging with them just like I would if they were sitting at a table and I was standing 10 feet away. So it's not the training mode or medium that matters. It's what the leadership does on the front end and, more importantly, on the back end to make the training stick and become a part of the DNA. We think about this like the current state of many of the sales organizations out there. The truth of the matter is there's probably some downtime with your reps right now. Oh yeah, oh, there's no question about it. I mean, reps will, will tell you that. They'll, they'll tell you that some people are not only harder to get a hold of, but you just can't get a hold of them, right? Organizations are going through change. Lots of organizations have either unfortunately had to take people out of the business or move people to new roles. So I was talking to a rep just a couple of days ago who's, who had both a, a champion, a clear champion identified in, in an opportunity who had done business with them in the past and access to the economic buyer who was bought in. And both of those people have been moved to new roles inside of their company, fortunately for them, but they're out of this decision. So all of a sudden, we're trying to get our arms around all of these changes, and you can't even get a hold of people, let alone move deals forward in some cases. This is the perfect time to get people focused on, take a little bit of that time that you've now got available to sharpen the saw or create new skill, whatever the right phrase is, right? Yeah. And there are, um, Dave, I'd love to hear you comment on that. And I, and I know that when we're talking about virtual versus live and trying to figure out what you want to do with your sales organization, there are some, some ways that virtual can even make a better medium to move your initiative forward. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, we've done over 30 virtual events just in this interim period. Right. And, and so everybody focuses in on the disadvantages of virtual, right? But, but there are significant uh, advantages. 
first of all, when we're in a workshopping setting and we're trying to put something together, right? We're either trying to pull content together for the sales message or the sales process or, or what have you, there aren't any physical limitations to the space, right? When you get together live, you have to plan it with a certain group of people in a certain physical space. And sometimes that constrains being able to call an audible in the moment, right? When it's virtual, you don't have those limitations. You can spin up and spin down different breakout groups at will and pull people in, right? And, and the other thing too is it, it, because of that, the geographical boundaries go away, right? I can be more inclusive in how I bring in geographically dispersed areas into the experience. Whereas before, I may have had to make a compromise, right? Because that, that was harder. The other thing too we found is that because I can focus in on all these thumbnail pictures of people, I can actually read the room better than live. So say I'm live and I'm in the room and there's you know 100 or so people out there, what I can see is what's right in front of me as I move around. So I may be seeing like four or five or six people at a time. And then what about the people in the back, right? What are they doing? When I have the thumbnails and like, you know, videos on, everybody's engaged, I can just see more people at a glance. And once I get used to it, I can read the room uh, really well. And the other thing that happens too that's interesting is that people who in the live setting would have sidebar conversations just like you and me right here, they're doing it over chat, right? And so what we can do is we can monitor the chat and we get a better feel for what people are thinking, like where they're getting stuck, a point that could be emphasized. So we have people monitoring the reactions and the chat and all the different electronic sidebars where we can actually change what we're saying on the fly and incorporate what's really important in this moment. And that's harder to do live. You know, th then there's the obvious uh, benefits of lower T&E, right? Massively lower T&E and time out of the field. Because, you know, you can't just deliver the, the virtual the same way that you do in person, right? You just can't go ripping through one or two days straight. I mean, people just couldn't handle that. So what you end up doing is you break it up into small bites, right? Which is better for an adult learning model where they're learning from each other. And, you know, because people learn better in um, small bites rather than big gulps. And virtual just really lends itself to that. And the other thing too is because you're spacing it out over time, you can do a debrief at the end of one day and call an audible for what you're gonna do the next day. And that's a lot easier because you get a little bit of headspace to regroup as opposed to like, it's happening in five minutes. It's, it's just, I don't have as much time to react. So we still love live, live is great. And I, you know, eventually we'll get back more to doing live, but right now, you know, people are loving virtually. Yeah, I think too, Brian, we, we talked about with the way that it's set up and Davey mentioned this very digestible format that you have this and the minimized time out of the field, you have this setup where you're learning and then you're going back to making calls maybe that day, or you're going back to yeah. sales calls. Yeah, it's, it, it really drives this engagement mode. It drives, I think, more immediate application. I mean, I've, I've been in live rooms for a few days before where you'll hear anecdotal stories where somebody will come back from break or come back the next day and say, hey, 
I actually took something in the moment from today, I applied it and it made an impact. But when you are doing this and, and you're doing something over the course of a couple of days and after the first session, somebody can, has got five or six hours left in their day and part of that go forward commitment to action or next step is go apply this to your most critical opportunity, which you've already brought into the room to begin with, right? People are literally making an impact on live opportunities or live conversations immediately in that very moment. They're not waiting three days or till they get back from the trip to wherever they all were for kickoff and then hope that they remember it. That idea of learning and applying right away, I think has a, a significant impact on people's ability to not only remember it, but get more comfortable in executing it right now. So that's, that's, I think that's what you're alluding to. And I, we're already starting to see that. I mean, I don't know if you want me to reference the, the deal qualification conversations we had last week and this week, or if you want to wait. Yeah, no, go for it. So we had, uh, we, you, as you know, we have a client that put about um, 600 people worldwide, reps, solutions architects, CS, customer success people, managers, managers of managers, everybody through this. And we did five sessions of about 100 or so. And um, every single person brought a distinct opportunity into the room. So a rep brought a deal in, the SA brought a different deal in, their manager brought a different deal in. They were all vetted by leadership, so they were live active deals. They were uh, qualifying and trying to move forward $66 million worth of opportunity in those sessions, and they're going to track them through. But the content, the feedback we've got, as I've shared with you, both through email and LinkedIn from individual participants, was actually one of the most overwhelming pieces of feedback I've gotten in the seven years of doing this, live or virtual, because of the immediacy of the impact on live deals. That was the over, overwhelming uh, piece of content that this is making an impact. This is how this made an impact, or this is making an impact on the opportunity I brought into the room and how we're talking to each other about it as well. That's, I think, that's where the proof is, right? That people are actually seeing it move the deal or move the needle on the deal immediately. Yeah, and for so many companies right now, every dollar counts. So when you're talking about $66 million a deal, of deals in yeah. the room that you're working on, you want to make yeah. sure that you are setting yeah. that up yeah. to be successful. Yeah. And what was great in that moment too was that $66 million was made up of deals as small as, I remember talking to a guy who was working on a $30,000 opportunity. And for him, that was a big deal because of the role that he's in in the space. And uh, there was a, a lady in Germany who was working on a $140,000 opportunity. So it wasn't, they weren't all million dollar deals. In fact, there might've been a couple seven figure deals, right? But most of those deals were very normal, right? They weren't these big elephants that people are out hunting, those kinds of things. Uh, to make those, as we've said, to make these, sessions virtually uh, successful, we have to drive engagement. And uh, Dave, as we talked about, there's this difference between learning virtually where you have people just watching YouTube videos or yeah. <laughs> consuming yeah. content and participating, actually participating in sessions led by instructors. Yeah, and what we find is the best instructional design is when there's a blend of modes. So if you think about live, what happens? Everybody you know, gets on a plane, they go somewhere, the thing kicks off and, and we're live. And so if I'm gonna you know, teach you something and you're gonna learn something, the, the flow is typically, I give you the concept, 
live, right? And then we practice it. We do some exercise around it. We debrief, rinse and repeat, right? And that's kind of how you go through it. it. When you're in a virtual mode, it's a little bit more efficient than that. Because what happens is offline, there's pre-work that I do on my own, right? There's some original teach around, you know, some topic, like asking great discovery questions or influencing the decision criteria. And so that original burst of content and skills-based teachings comes at me on my own time, right? And in the form of pre-work. And so what that does is, is that frees me up so that when I go into the live session, right, these bite-sized pieces of the live session, I can use that full time for engagement in, in application, right? And so the facilitator, instead of having to do an original teach, what they're doing is they're immediately extending the concepts, like, you know, how do I tell a, a uh, coach from a champion, you know, whatever the concept is, they're extending it from the baseline teach, applying it using live deals, getting people to teach each other in the breakouts and then doing a debrief and then summarizing with the original learning. So it's a much more efficient, more uh, application oriented mode that, that this allows you to do. Now, if you're gonna pull that off, there's a couple of things that have to happen, right? I mean, everybody has to do their pre-work because we can't have people with different levels. And so what that means is leaders need to lead, right? leaders need to lead from the front. Make sure that everybody has done their pre-work, make sure that videos are on, and make sure that people are paying attention and engaging. So, you know, it's, it's harder in that regard, but it's just basic leadership type things, right? And if, you, if that leadership isn't present, it accentuates the bad. You know, if, if I can jump in on this, just yesterday on this management call for the client that's kicking their training off Monday, this topic came up. There were 30 or so managers on the call, and one of the managers said, in the right spirit, he said, you know what I realized in doing the pre-work and thinking about my people and all of this was that this is really hard. The reason a lot of organizations don't succeed at things like this is because you're asking me to take my eye off the forecast. This is exactly what he said, and focus on you know people doing their pre-work and those kinds of things. And, and he said, I want to make sure you're hearing me. I know we need to do it. I know it's the right thing to do, but it's hard to do. And another manager jumped in and dovetailed on it and said, you're absolutely right. Isn't it sad that as leaders, we forget that it's those things that really make the, the thing we're talking about right now, that those are the things that actually make an impact on somebody's ability to be better at forecasting deals, right? We have a tendency to focus on the endpoint, not whether or not we're on the right road to get to the endpoint. And people wonder why they never get to the finish line. Well, it's because they were never on the, the right road to begin with, or they somehow got off on a country road two miles into a 500 mile journey. And that's the, 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 the topic that came up yesterday. And today's point and this, this concept of accountability, as I was thinking about this client last night after the call, what I realized in that moment is what we're doing is we're actually also helping the organization drive what I'll call um, organizational business maturity. Like you're, you're actually helping the organization at a minimum, at least initially, identify who are your people that are willing to do the hard work, right, when you make it available to them. It's not like they have to go out and find it and figure out what to do with it. It's all right there. It's ready to go. So you're driving organizational maturity when you do something like this as well, whether it happens to be 
your sales force or any other part of the organization that you're trying to, to teach and, and, and develop skill in. So it's, it's not just about some facilitator showing up with some new piece of content and spoon feeding it. To Dave's point, you've got this journey that you're on with multiple points where some of it is, I have a responsibility to do something, to be ready for everybody to help each other out. Because that's the other thing Dave said, and I've, I've seen this a lot, in a way almost even more so in these virtual settings, the concept of people teaching each other because it's live, everybody's in the room, people are coming off mute, the chat is going on, the stuff that's going on in the chat is amazing. We're actually taking those and publishing them out so everybody can see, because you can't get to everything sometimes. I had a room yesterday, where the, or a couple of days ago, where the chat was just flying, and people are just sharing great ideas with each other, and then you get the breakout rooms and the debriefs, and before you know it, you've got, I mean, think about it, you've got an organization with 100 people, you've got some really good people, there's no question about it. You don't need one person, whether it's the facilitator or the CEO or the CRO leading and being the expert at everything. That's not the intent. Right? The intent is everybody's making everybody that much better. So I had to jump in there on Dave's comment. Yeah, you also have a, another concept that you use when talking about engaging the room, Brian, and, and getting these organizations to the outcomes and all these things contribute. But there's also this concept you said of an involuntary engagement. I know when I first brought yeah. it up, I was like voluntary engagement. You said, no, no. it's involuntary. involuntary. Yeah. And in fact, uh, the client that just did the five sessions with us after the first session, the head of sales for the Americas sat in on all three of the Americas sessions. And after the first session, he kind of knew how we do things, but wasn't really a hundred percent sure. He got on the next two calls and he told everybody, he said, listen, everybody, you better keep your head on a swivel because Brian can see all of you, which is true. I've got multiple screens in my, in my TV studio office right now. I can see everybody. And to what Dave said earlier, the, the body language just pops out. You can see when somebody's wheels are turning or when somebody's questioning something, that kind of thing. And so I just, what I do on the front end is I work with the sales leadership to identify a few folks, but then I just go through the list. And I'm specifically, I'm specifically thinking, hey, I want to engage more of a solutions architect or product specialist here. I want to engage a front, a front of the, or tip of the spear seller here. So I literally prep with names ahead of time. I know exactly where I'm going to go, but I'm also looking at the screen. So I may, I'm planning on going to Dave Davies at one point. I already have his name. I don't know, even know who he is. I don't care because everybody in the room is an active participant. I grab Dave, but I also noticed somebody named Rachel. I could just see her head tilting or she's leaning in or something. So I'll pull her in. Everybody's getting engaged in some form or fashion. And anybody who knows us knows we're doing that never to embarrass somebody. We are doing it to make somebody in the room take whatever we're talking about and apply it to a live conversation or a live opportunity with the intent to celebrate the good. And if, if the guy I call on, Dave, is struggling, I look for other people to pull in to help him. Right? So it's never to make somebody look bad. It's to help, the, help one person apply and help then the whole organization apply as a result. And that really works well here really well. I'll take whatever help I can get, Brian. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these inputs, involuntary engagement, accountability, leveraging what you know works and just basic instructor-led principles, application, being flexible, is really about getting the organization to the right outcomes. Because as you yeah. said at the top, uh, Brian, it's not, it's more than the training, right? We're, we're yeah. doing this for a reason. We've got $66 million worth of deals that we need to close. Yeah, and I, I, it's funny, part of me, as I think about this phrase, instructor-led, this is instructor-led. 
it's just done over TV instead of at the theater. I mean, if you really think about it, it's live TV instead of being in the theater. But it's just as interactive. It's just as applicable, and it's it's just as valuable. I mean, I mean, I I had a rep from San Francisco shoot me a note the other day. Carries a six hundred thousand dollar a year quota. He's a he's a SMB commercial rep. Signed a one point four million dollar deal, and he did it in a virtual environment. And he did it as a result of applying what we were doing in the room with him a couple of months ago. So virtual is not a negative substitute because we can't all get together right now. I'd like to wrap up here with some final points. It's a great success story that you just shared, Brian. Dave, you mentioned leading from the front. And I think ultimately, as I said, these initiatives are about driving the business outcomes. And I know, Dave, you have a concept of launch, pivot, and grow. And that's something that applies to a lot of leaders out there who are watching this. Yeah, as you, as you see the progression of our customers and our customers' customers, as they're moving through those three steps of survive, adapt, and thrive, they're reacting in different ways. And strategically, I mean, you, you, typically it falls into three buckets, in my experience. I mean, they're launching something new because there's a market opportunity that allowed that to occur. I'm pivoting to something else, right? Like in our case, it was we pivoted from all live to all virtual and then eventually we'll go hybrid right that's a pivot or i'm growing something that's already there and it, it continues to work and so if your customers customers as they go through this cycle of survive adapt and thrive are pivoting their strategic initiatives between launch pivot or grow you have to stay in touch with that and you have to, for instance, message to that and align the way you sell to the way they want to buy to that. And you can't keep pace with your customers if you are not enabling people to do that. And so that's the don't wait message, I think, that underlies all of this. Because if you wait, you will just get hung in that survive and adapt mode while other people who aren't waiting are gonna move on to thrive. That's what the thrivers are doing, right? They're enabling in a different way because the customer's customers have moved, right? And they don't he, want to be left behind. He who hesitates is lost. Brilliant, Brian, brilliant. That was my father who stole it from some writer somewhere along yeah. the way. Probably all the way back to the Greek philosophers, but it's yeah. true, right? Yeah. You know, take action. You can't, you, this is no time to wait. By the way, the jobs numbers just came out. They're better than anybody would have predicted. I'm not saying that everything's over. It's not. But the point is people are moving forward. So this is your opportunity. You can sit back and wait. You will be lost. That, that's what's going to happen. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Lead from the front. What a great conversation, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for this talk. You bet. At Force Management, we're focused on transforming sales organizations into elite teams. Our proven methodologies deliver programs that build company alignment and fuel repeatable revenue growth. Give your teams the ability to execute the growth strategy at the point of sale. Our strength is our experience. The proof is in our results. Let's get started. Visit us at forcemanagement.com. You've been listening to the Audible Ready Podcast. 
to not miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Until next time.